You're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. I'm John Malik, your host. I'm a restaurant consultant and coach and a semi-retired chef. And when I was a young cook, uh, way back during the Hardigan administration, <laughs> there was a lot of standardizations in kitchens, especially the French restaurants I worked for in South Louisiana or New Orleans. And I had one choice in clothing, black non-slip shoes, black and white herringbone pants, and white chef tunic and if I didn't like that, well, that was too bad. Showing up in blue jeans or something other than the same uniform worn by every other cook and chef across the globe was potentially a firing offense. You wore that uniform and nothing else. Uh, perhaps your chef might cut you some slack with respect to the hat that you could wear in the kitchen uh, because those silly uh, white stove top hats were awkward and cumbersome and I'm kind of a tall guy and so wearing those 10, 12 uh, inch long hats, I'd constantly knock them off on the fire extinguisher nozzles or the hood or going into the walk-in cooler. You had three choices in knives back then. There was cheap Dexter Russells, and then you had fancy blades from uh, Germany. They were Wusthofs or Hankels. Nice set of Hankel blades was comprised of, uh, you would have a, a chef's knife, a boning knife, paring knife, um, and maybe uh, a utility knife, which is a six-inch long straight blade, or maybe a bread knife, a serrated uh, 10-inch long bread knife came in very handy. And that was it. You know, we didn't understand the, the blend of uh, the metallic blend that went into producing the blades. Uh, you just fell into a group. You were either a Hankel's guy or a Wusthof guy. You know, there was a little bit of difference in price. The Wusthofs were a bit less than a comparable Hankel. So it just felt a sharpness and ability, and that was how you were judged by other cooks. How clean and neat were your cuts? How exact were your diced carrots or your julienne onions? That was really the only way to stand out in a kitchen was through performance. The German blades were heavy and familiar, and the more you used them, the more calloused your dominant hand became. You develop um, calluses just underneath your forefinger or on the, the pad of your thumb. And uh, eventually, your knife, the one you spent the most time with, would become an extension of your hand. And it wasn't uncommon for cooks to name the knives, monogram them, or decorate them, maybe with some brightly colored tape on the handles. Uh, be, make it easier if somebody accidentally borrowed one of your blades to, to know where it was, because they all look the same. Recently, I was invited to a luncheon at Stella's Brasserie, and that's where I met Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. Dan makes these gorgeous uh, one-off knives with handles crafted from everything from coffee beans to road maps, blades that are thin and light as a tomato skin, yet they're strong and sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Dan stopped by the farm for dinner and wine, and we had a great interview and met his wife, and 
and after working with one of his knives for the better part of two weeks, I can say it was quite remarkable. If you'd like to see some photos of his work, just go to our website, Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, and search for Dan Eastland or show number four. And now let's go to our interview. All right, welcome to the show, Dan Eastland. Dan is a custom knife maker. His clients are primarily folks in the culinary world. Some of your favorite chefs in town slice their vegetables, their herbs, and cut that pork tenderloin with an Eastland signature knife. Dan, thank you so much for coming into the studio today, and uh, welcome. Thank you. It's truly a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. You are just saying that, aren't you? This is not a pleasure. Are you serious? <laughs> well, it started with dinner, so yes, yes, actually, it's been amazing. <laughs> All right, great. All right, most of us, it, unless you're uh, uh, working in a professional kitchen, you probably haven't met Dan, but recently he was featured on the front page, the, no less the front page of the Greenville News, and also in Town Magazine. He had this uh, glorious spread. Town does such a nice job. Um, but Dan is a custom knife maker. And I met him at a luncheon at Stella's Brasserie a couple months ago, and I was very impressed. You know, when I was when I was coming up, there were two choices of knives, really three. There was there was cheap Dexter Russell, which you know, a Dexter Russell chef knife cost about ten bucks back then, or there was a Hankel or a Wusthof, right? Both German companies, and that was it. That was the only choices. Yep, um, and then shortly thereafter, the the Japanese blades started to become popular, and there's some there's some very good production options. But it wasn't until recently that the the handmade and the the custom market had started to pick up. So Dan, how did you get into this? I mean, what clicked inside of you that said, you know what, man, my future lies in making one off custom knives for well, for chefs. Well, it all started with citronella torches. Uh, like many things do. Yes. So I, I lived in North Georgia, and okay. as anybody in the South knows, if you're going to be outside during the summer, you need citronella torches. Mm-hmm. And I got very frustrated that the, the flambe, the torch part, would get corroded and look terrible. And when I went to replace that, I couldn't replace just that. I'd have to throw away the perfectly good stands. And there was a blacksmith down the road uh-huh. for me. So one day I took a, a short neck beer bottle down to his shop and set it on his workbench because I could put a little plumbing fitting on that beer bottle and make a torch. And I said, I want torch stands to to fit this beer bottle. And through the process of refining the design and figuring out what Mm -hmm. we want, I was hanging out in this blacksmith shop. Mm -hmm. And one day he finally just said, look, Dan, I'm going to be here on Saturday. Come down. I'm going to show you how to make a knife. And then I don't have to hear about this anymore. And I made that first knife, and the, the clouds parted, and a ray of sunshine came down, and James Earl Jones says, this is why you were born. Right. And the angels sang, right? <laughs> so so how, how long ago was that? That was about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And I, I started with that smith, and he moved his shop to Atlanta, which was about 45 minutes from us. And I was a stay-at-home dad at the time, and the logistics didn't didn't work out. There's no way I was going to be able to get to his shop. And Georgia has a custom knife makers guild, and I managed to get my hands on a copy of their member list with phone numbers. And I became, well, that must have been a pamphlet, right? Was <laughs> pretty close. It was, it was a single page, uh, single column. There's there are not a lot of us. There's right. way more than there were. But I just started calling members, and I showed up at a meeting. And Andy Roy at Fiddleback Forge finally said, all right, you can come to my shop. It's going to be miserable and you're going to hate it. Uh, and I'm not going to pay you. 
And I said, okay. Uh And worked three days a week for him, sanding handles and sweeping floors in August in an unair-conditioned warehouse space. And after a couple of months, he sat me down and said, okay, if you're not going to (laughs) leave, which I've really tried hard, if you're not going to leave, then three days a week is just not going to do it. You you need to give me 40, 50 hours a week if you really want to learn to make knives. And I did about a nine-month, almost a year Mm -hmm. apprenticeship with him. Now he he was paying you at that time. At no, that I, no, he still in, wasn't paying you. Yeah, so the the deal we worked out is I had a certain amount of work that I had to perform for him, mm-hmm. and in return for that, once that work was done, I had to pay for the consumables, but I could use all of his shop equipment. I could use his gotcha, shop. Gotcha, gotcha. And he would teach me. And to be fair, one of the best ways to learn is working on your own stuff. I mean, right. that's just so I would spend the morning working like mad and. As I did work for him, I was already learning because he had to show me how he wanted things done. And then once my work was finished for the day, um, I would start work. And it was a very Socratic method. I would make something. He'd look at it, advise me, and I'd go back. Uh, And then in addition to that, he was giving me uh, reading assignments and that sort of thing. So what was he making, though? I know he was making knives, but what? tell us about those knives. So he made... uh, a somewhat rustic, very outdoors knife. Uh-huh. When I started making knives, I always wanted to make kitchen knives. But there, right. was, there was nobody doing it as customs at the time, and I couldn't apprentice with anybody. But physics is physics. Um, right, right. Once I learned how to make a knife, I could make the adjustments to make kitchen knives. So I, the, until recently, the majority of my business was outdoor knives. That's, that's where I had made my reputation early in my career. And... I kept making the outdoor knives and spent time studying with chefs. A lot of the guys with the Unsuke group in Atlanta did a lot of my product testing for me before I came to Greenville. And I continued to make outdoor knives while I refined my, my culinary designs. And then I'm now at about 50, 50 mm-hmm. as far as business between the outdoor and the culinary knives. Gotcha. So the, the Unsuke group, who, who are they? What, 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 name those restaurants for me. Uh, that's going to be Local 3, uh, Mustin Turner's, uh, Warhorse, uh, Eleanor's. They came out. They were they're made up of several executive chefs that came out of some very large Atlanta restaurant groups and started on their own with a, a really high-end deli and have built an empire. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, they're also they're the ones that started the Giving Kitchen. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. The, the name of their, their restaurant is uh, Staple House. Okay. And it's uh, that's the one where the chef was the original chef was dying of cancer. Uh, so he was he was Todd's sous chef and okay. had always intended on opening his own restaurant. Uh, Todd was was helping him work towards that, and he had started a supper club, start to raise capital and build his name, and he was diagnosed with. Stage three and four cancer. And, you know, as, as you know, working in the restaurant yeah. industry, there's not much insurance. Right. Um, so originally it started as a fundraiser to help help him cover his bills. Mm-hmm. And when he passed, they took his his restaurant concept. The, the services donated and right. the proceeds go to the giving kitchen, which is there to help right. people in the, the restaurant industry. Covered mm-hmm. medical bills. Yeah. I've read so many wonderful reviews and thoughts and essays on Stable House, and that's one place. That is on my on my list of places to get to in Atlanta. 
it is phenomenal food and it is good people doing right. good things. Yeah. Uh, they've talked about expanding and I have put a bug in their ear about expanding up to Greenville, but mm-hmm. maybe working with Euphoria, that that would be a great opportunity. Sure. So I, I am hoping that is something that's going to grow nationally. Now you're in, in Greenville and you're making knives in Greenville. You set up shop in Greenville. You've been I, in, in Greenville, what, three years? Correct. So we moved from Georgia to Pennsylvania. Uh, my wife got a job offer that we just couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to Pennsylvania, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this thing up there called winter. Right. <laughs> and during winter, I've they have this it. stuff called snow. <laughs> and a lot of it. Yeah, so after two years up there, we she's from Columbia, I'm from Atlanta. We got thin southern blood. Yeah, we just. Yeah. Two years. Yep. (laughs) Two winters. And we wanted to move south, but we didn't want to move back to Atlanta. It's it's just gotten too crowded for us. And her job said you can live anywhere in the world you want as long as it's near an airport. We came down to Greenville. I had I used to go to Camp Greenville. I knew of Camp Greenville or knew of Greenville twenty years ago. Right. And Beth was looking on a map and the geography worked and she said, Let's try Greenville. I said, Sure. <laughs> and we came down for a visit, and I was on the waterfront. I don't remember this Greenville. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, we went out for dinner that night, and the next morning started looking for a house. Yeah. We, well, like I said, we could literally live anywhere in the world we wanted to, and we chose Greenville. Yeah. I love the restaurant scene here. It's, mm-hmm. it's really thriving. It's expanding. It's great to work with. A lot of the chefs here... Some of the older executive chefs have learned the way it's going to be done, mm-hmm. and they're not really ready to hear new ideas, new concepts. You're not talking about me, are you? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they've, they've got their heavy German or French-style knives. Yeah, yeah. okay, gotcha. Yeah. It's worked for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Why change? And it's been great here because some of the chefs here, they're willing to, to listen to a new idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steel technology has changed so much in 10 years that what was absolutely true 10 years ago isn't correct anymore. Mm -hmm. And the chefs around here have been really open-minded to finding out the changes that are possible in in the culinary industry now. Can you tell us who's using your knives? In which kitchens? Uh, Some of them. Well, I've got um, a couple of the chefs or a couple of sous chefs and husks. Husk are using theirs. Uh, I'm making a roll for Jason. I know Greg McPhee is a big fan of yours over at Anchorage. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have not, uh, I've got about an eight month back order right now. Oh. So I haven't, oh. uh, not everybody that has ordered a knife has gotten oh. one yet. Uh, Shamil at Husk was great. Shortly after I moved here, I got a message on Instagram. You're a knife maker in Greenville? Yeah. <laughs> and matter of fact, he and I designed uh, one of the knives that you use tonight, the larger, more traditional style. Sure. The Big Poppy uh-huh. is one that Shamil and I designed together. So if you have an eight-month back order, what are you doing here at my place? Why aren't you? <laughs> well, Sunday is Why aren't my... you working? Because <laughs> you offered dinner. <laughs> and Sunday is my half day off. Gotcha. Uh, we're actually... We've, we've shaved the back order down to about five to six months right now. But uh, yeah, it, it got a little long for a while. So your your average order now, is it is it one knife or is it a set? Typically, it is one knife, and one of the nice things about working with a, a custom maker is you can order a knife from me today, mm-hmm. Okay. and unless some material is no longer available on the market, I can make a matching knife a year from now. So a chef can take several years and build a match set role, especially as their, change, their position in the kitchen changes, You know, where at one point, they didn't need a boning knife. 
They needed right. a paring knife and an eight. So now I've knife. gone from Garmage to the to the fish station, and now I need to. Yeah. yeah now they need a fillet knife, so right. I can now make a. A knife, even though it was made three years later, it matches everything else in their role. So they have some consistency. Um, and I've also, I've started to make a name for myself my handles. Right. Um, we're using, I found a, a just a mad scientist uh, of a materials maker. Uh, we have now, I just made a, a knife handle out of white rice. Uh, I've made it out of pasta. Cook, cooked rice or no, raw? No, raw rice. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the, the exhibit bodies? Sure. Yeah. Um, same technology that they use to preserve those bodies, we can use to make knife handles. Wow! So I've made, I've used beer hops, I've used coffee beans, um, I've used oregano, uh, thyme. I've done. Matter of fact, um, Vivian Howard has one of mine that's uh, ah. oregano and thyme for the handle. Very cool. And we're we're doing some things with a, a material called paper micarta, which allows us to do images. So. I like to think of a chef as an artist that works in a temporary medium. Sure, yeah. And good, good point. Somebody that creative should have options other than black plastic right. or white plastic. Right. I mean, if, if you spend right. your life being creative, you should be able to express yourself in, in other ways. So uh-huh. chefs, not only can I give them absolutely the most advanced steel technology on the market today, but they can take some time to express themselves. They can they can build colors and patterns of their handles. So it's it really makes the tool theirs, and if you're going to use it for eight ten hours a day, I mean it, it should be you. Sure, yeah. Um, I I made my reputation on geometry and blade designs and ergonomics, but now I've really started to explore creative things to do with handles and that sort of thing. So the the chef's knife really is theirs. Very cool. So I'm curious now, Dan. Have you ever sold a knife to, let's say, somebody that's not in a professional kitchen? Uh, I, I have. Uh, it's first, it started with, again, I'd made my reputation in outdoor knives. Right. So some of the people that had been my clients, once they found out I was making professional quality kitchen knives, wanted them. And now, especially, we've got a new line coming out. Uh, the way we class our knives is we've got three levels. And we've got custom, which is absolute sky's the limit. Anything you can think of, will do. Mm-hmm. And then we have signature, which is of a similar quality, but they're they're spec knives. They're the knife I made. I made whatever I wanted to make and put it on the market. Mm-hmm. So it's still a very high quality knife. You just didn't get to pick exactly what was on the knife. Right. But you get the option of buying it now and not in six months. Sure. And we've recently started a house line, which where the signature and the, the customs are entirely handmade, the house line, parts of it may be machined, which it's to my specs and to a level of quality that I insist on. But since it's machined, the, the cost is down. Mm-hmm. And we started selling a lot of those to home cooks, where the, the kitchen market is so underserved by the knife industry right now. Sure, yeah. Things that are available in other industries... 10 years ago still haven't been offered to, to people in the kitchen. And it's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The steels and the technologies and the heat treating that is available everywhere else in the world, there's no reason that someone that even if you're going to use it for an hour a day, shouldn't have available to them. Mm-hmm. And home cooks are starting to realize that a lighter, better balanced, more efficient tool. If you don't like cooking, it makes it less miserable. If right. you do like to cook, it makes it a lot more pleasurable. Yeah, you, know, you 
you can count on a, a knife being low maintenance and sharp and well balanced. Right, right. So tell me about the quickest sale you've ever made. Uh, <laughs> the quickest or the most unusual? All right. Well, whatever. The most unusual. Yeah, well, the, the, I am. I'm setting you up, man. You got a good story, so let's hear it. <laughs> well, because I'm a I'm a phenomenal knife maker. I am a horrible salesman. Okay. Most of my sales pitches are excruciatingly painful, and someone will buy the knife just for me to stop talking. <laughs> However, I have, uh, on two separate occasions, I have sold uh, knives to doctors that were suturing me in the ER. <laughs> uh, I, had, I, was, I was cleaning a knife. I was getting ready to send it out. And uh-huh. I, I fumbled it. Right. And it, it may have fallen an inch or two, but it, it laid my finger open. And I'm in, and a PA is suturing me. And he said, right. you did this with a knife? Uh-huh. I said, yeah. He said, wow, this is really clean. I mean, it's like a scalpel <laughs> cut. I, he said, did somebody so, hit you? I said, no, I, it, it fell about an inch. And he looked at me and said, you got a card? <laughs> <laughs> How about that? That's cool. That's cool. So I'm listening to the podcast. I'm a chef or sous chef, and I want to get in touch with you and have you make a knife for me. How do I find you? You can go to the website, dogwoodcustomknives.com. Uh, okay. We're also on Instagram. How, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, it is Dogwood Custom Knives. Uh, Dan okay. at Dogwood Custom Knives. That's that's your email address, or it is. So my okay. so Instagram handle is at Dogwood Custom Knives. I'm sorry. So my teenage son handles my Instagram account <laughs> for me. <laughs> so we're gonna go with uh, if I remember correctly, it's Dogwood Custom Knives. Is Dogwood Custom Knives is Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if it's not, email me at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com, and I'll get my teenage son to explain it. All right, cool. And look, if y'all go to uh, Tin Roof Farm or RadioShow.com and search Dan Eastland. Just search Dan Eastland or uh, Dog Best Show Knives. so far. Yeah, or, best, uh... of course, of course. <laughs> and so you'll see photographs of uh, some of the knives that he's made. Uh, I have worked with one for about three weeks at home, and they are incredible. They're so light. They're so well balanced. You know what, my friend, the first time, so that so when a chef is going to cut himself, it's usually if if they there's a big time crunch and we've got a lot to do, and I pick up the wrong knife, I pick up a strange knife, and I'm not used to the weight and the balance, right? And I start going to town on whatever the parsley or shipping on the basil or whatever, and so that's a dangerous time because that's it's easy to cut yourself, right? Because you're you're not used to the to the weight and the balance. And the first couple of times I picked up your blade, I was like, wow, I was just petrified. I was like very careful as to how I manipulated that blade. Once I got used to the weight, because it's so much lighter than a typical blade, and the steel is so sexy and and sharp and straight, it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful to work with. Thank you. It, the response that I get from most chefs is they notice how light it is. And they're so used to the, the French and the German influences of heavy blades. Well, those things are bullets, man. They're so heavy. They're <laughs> they are. And I was I was studying engineering before I uh-huh. started making knives. And a knife is a double inclined plane. The yeah. lower the angle, the better it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So having that thin spine and that high angle, not only does it make it lighter and less fatiguing, but you put less work into it. And... Every chef that picks it up, it takes them a day or two to get used to. It just, it feels too light. It shouldn't be that long. Right. Everybody that's used one, one of the feedback I always get is, I didn't get as tired. My hand wasn't fatiguing. My forearm didn't get that crampy feeling at the end of the day. And that's that's from using a lighter blade. All right. Dan Eastland, Dogwood Custom Knives. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, like I said, if y'all want to reach out to him, find him at 
Dogwood Custom Knives or on Instagram at Dogwood Custom Knives. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure having you in the studio. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the show and many thanks to our guest, Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. Find us on Instagram. My wife Amy is at Tin Roof Farm or you can follow me at Chef John Malik. And you can find the show on Facebook at Tin Roof Farm Radio Show. Or you can check out all our guests and photos of the farm on our website, tinrooffarmradioshow.com. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media. And our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.